Mac Power Users, episode 585, Spring Loaded. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am here today to talk about the most recent Apple event with my pal and yours, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? Uh, you know, I just love the weeks of Apple events. You know, I like to see what's new, what they're doing. And we got a lot of information. When they said spring loaded, I was thinking they were setting expectations that there'd be a lot in the in the presentation. And turns out we were right. There was a lot in this presentation this week. There was. And, you know, we don't always take an episode of MPU to talk about the event, but because this had so much Mac and iPad stuff in it, we felt like uh, we should do it and dive into this because a lot of people have been waiting on a lot of this hardware. And there's also some interesting uh, sort of other things to talk about, too. Yeah. But before we get started, uh, we do have merch. We announced it last week and uh, I want to call it out again. Uh, we've got these great looking t-shirts. Um, they're, they have a nice uh, embroidered uh, battery logo on it. It's not over the top. I think it's some of the favorite shirts that we've ever made for the show. I bought three of them. So, you know, and I pay for them too. So, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to be fully branded, you know, at some point. And then, the other thing is we wanted to make uh, something like a coffee mug, but something much better. So we got tumblers this year, and they're from Yeti. Um, uh, they're here until they're gone. The way that worked, we had to buy a, a, a bunch of them, and once they're sold, they're sold. So they are selling. So uh, I would recommend if you want to get one of those, get in there and get it. It is a very nice tumbler. Uh, it'll look great on your desk, and it keeps your water cold, your, your tea hot, whatever it is that you do. It's got you covered. Yeah. Yeah, so th those will sell out, and then they'll be gone. The T-shirts are available for pre-order until May 4th. Uh, David, just to answer this, um, I think we did pick the date because it's Star Wars Day. Uh, I, I like feel like that. that was a date you could remember. So I like that, yeah. May so, the 4th, uh, baby. You have until Star Wars Day to get a T-shirt ordered. Oh, uh, You know what I'm doing on May 4th, by the way? Uh, I, I hope you're going to uh, go see some Star Wars stuff in person. Yeah, I am. I'm going to Disneyland. I bought a ticket that day. I'm going to awesome. go up there. I'm going to dress like a 50-year-old Star Wars nerd and have a great time. So I'll Perfect. be there, but you should be buying a t-shirt that day because you're going to not be able to get one if you wait until the day after. Yeah, so we're excited about that. Go check it out. It's the first two links in the show notes this week. The um, We have, uh, for more power users today, I thought it'd be fun since we are talking about an Apple event that we're going to go deep on the Apple event we got to attend in person, which was the last in-person Apple event, if memory serves, uh, when we went to WWDC a few years ago and we got invited to attend the presentation about the new Mac Pro. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk a little bit about the behind-the-scenes stuff about, you know, getting sure. in and, and what we deal with that. So that's going to be the more power users today. Yeah. I think they maybe had, I guess they had the iPhone event after that, but I mean, really late 2019, that's the, that's basically the end. Yeah. That's, that's when the walls came down. Mm-hmm. But we have been talking about this event on the show over the last several months and, and hopes and dreams. Steven and I both can't wait to get more Mac information. This is a special year for the Mac. You know, they're making this transition and they said that they would get it completed within two years. And we're now almost a year into it. And it is uh, very exciting to find out if, you know, what the new Macs are going to be like and, and what they look like. So yesterday we got a new Mac. 
We did. And it's the first Mac, and Apple pointed this out, that has been designed with Apple Silicon in mind. If you look at the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro, the Mac Mini, they're still in the enclosures with the industrial design from the Intel machines that predate them. Yeah. And so this is the first Mac that Apple sort of designed from the beginning to say it's never going to have Intel parts in it. And uh, I think you can really see that when you look at this machine. And I do want to talk a little bit about how how it's put together because I think it's informative. Yeah. And, and you know, we kind of buried the lead. We have a new 24-inch iMac, and it really looks like a 24-inch iPad stuck on a foot. Um, it is crazy, the design, and Apple's added color. And we're going to go through the details of it in a minute. And there's a lot that I think we both like about this computer. There's also a lot that I have questions about, frankly. But what I will say, and I want to say this up front, is this is a massive improvement over the existing 21 and a half inch iMac. It's it is like it is such a better computer than what they were selling last week. Absolutely. And that's really what this machine is replacing. This is not yet a replacement for the 27 inch iMac or the iMac Pro that, of course, has now uh, gone on to the great Apple store in the sky. This is replacing the low-end iMac that people buy for business or home or dorm schools. You know, this is not a machine that I was interested in before, and it's not a machine that meets my needs now. But if you're looking for an iMac for your home or for your business and you don't need a super high-end stuff, this is so much better than what was before. I mean, before you had the 21 and a half inch, this is a bigger screen, a screen that has the new technology, wide color, that sort of stuff in it. And the old one was using, depending on how you count it, two or three generations back of Intel processor. So it wasn't even the best Intel had to offer. And so this thing just blows the old one out of the water. Yeah, I mean, and you get the, you get the retina resolution, um, there's just so much. Let's get into the design a little bit on the new iMac and and just kind of take it apart a little bit. I think we should just start with the colors. I mean, that is such a different move. Um, I think you did an article over at 512 Pixels about colors in the iMac. When was the last time we had a Mac, an iMac with color in it? Uh, around 2000 or so. Yeah. 2001. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was the iMac G3. And then the G4 was all white, you know, the one with the the fancy uh, floating screen. And, yeah. and then from there, it's been white and then a, a bunch of aluminum that's just silver. And the, the iMac design that we had up until yesterday and that we still have, I guess, in the big iMac, that's really from 2012. But really, depending on how far back you count, it's from... 2007, or maybe even from 2004 with the iMac G5. So like it's yeah. been a long time. And to, to see color come into this line is so refreshing and so much fun. And, and, and I think what it does, and I didn't think about this uh, really during the event, but something I thought about this morning is that the color sort of redefines this iMac as the consumer grade iMac. You know, I expect the big iMac whenever it shows up, the one that'll be more powerful and more capable, that it probably won't come in six colors and a silver. Yeah. But for this type of product, I mean, look at the the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Pro, right? The iPhone 12 comes in a bunch of colors. The Pro doesn't. 
But either way, I'm I am just overjoyed to see color return to the Mac in a in a big in such a big way. You know, it's not like yeah. they just had, oh well, it's a gold one. It's like no, for the first time ever, you can buy a yellow Mac. You know, I can buy an orange Mac if I want to, and that makes me very happy. Yeah, Rosemary Orchard texted me during the event. They had me at purple. That's what she said. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and the uh, I, I really like whimsy with Apple products. I mean, if I go back to the very first time I sat at a Mac back in a long time ago, let's just say, um, I remember looking at the control panel and seeing the tortoise and the hare in the right in the control center, and it was like it was like the first time I'd ever seen whimsy used on technology, and I think that is kind of one of the things that attracted me to Apple in the beginning. I feel like they've kind of lost their way. Do you think this has anything to do with the fact that Sir Johnny Ive has not been with the company now in a couple of years, that suddenly color is coming back? I mean, maybe. I think trying to like pin a decision Apple makes on a single person is difficult. But that's but that said, like, maybe. But then again, we had the iPhone XR when he was there, right? And yeah. it was super colorful and so I don't know. I, I do think that it is Johnny Ive-like in in some ways that we can talk about his very minimal design. But I think he was willing to have fun at the same time with color. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, the But I really like that they went bold with the colors. The front of them are, they're two-tone, and like the front of them are more pastel. But if you look at the back of it, it is a very bold color. And I'm glad they did that. I mean, like what they did with the iPads uh, recently with those pastel colors, I felt like that wasn't enough color. I wanted more. Agreed. And uh, and I think they did it. And I haven't seen the iMac in person. Obviously, it's not a thing yet out in the world. But my guess is, is that the front and the foot of these iMacs kind of match the pastel colors Apple uses elsewhere. So my wife has a green iPhone 12 mini. I bet that green is pretty close to the front of the new green iMac. And the back is where the vibrancy is just cranked way up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about going around the front of the device. Um, one of the things I fully expected with a new iMac is that finally the chin would be gone. You know, and the chin mm -hmm. is that little section two or three inches along the bottom. It's got an Apple logo on it. Uh, with a new one, it is smaller. It doesn't have an Apple logo, but the chin still remains. That's right. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, the night of the event, and I titled it The Chin. <laughs> yeah. And I chronicled the chin back to 2004 with the iMac G5, and it's gotten smaller and smaller over time. In the past, the chin has been there as a, as a way to hide the fact that the, the screen of the computer isn't big enough to cover all the guts of the computer. And so the power supply was behind there for a while, and then the logic board extended down into the chin. And over time, they've made it smaller and thinner. With this machine, though, people really were hoping that it would just be a display on a foot. you know. And, and they could have done that. They chose not to, and I have some reasons why I think they chose not to. The way the machine is put together... And Apple showed this in their keynote, uh, and I have a, a screenshot of it in my in my piece. The logic board and the speakers and all, all the computer parts, the two little fans, they're all housed in the chin. Yeah. And the display is above them in the same plane. So in an older iMac, the display would be uh, in front of the logic board, and logic board would extend down beneath it. 
these are stacked vertically. And so the the thinness is really defined by both the components and the display. And is to make it that thin, they chose to have the chin and have the computer down underneath the screen. Now, I'm sure there are other issues there. Maybe they maybe it wasn't just thinness, maybe it was balance with the foot they wanted to use, maybe they didn't want to have the components behind the display for for whatever reason. Uh, but this is how they did it. And I think there's a truth to this that some people may not like. And I, I closed my article with it. I think iMacs just have chins. I think that's kind of part of the <laughs> brand of the iMac. And yeah. it doesn't bother me. I mean, yeah, it would have been cool if it was just like my XDR, which is thin bezel all the way around it. But Apple made this decision. It's the decision we have. And I think it's fine. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I'm not that hung up on it either. But it is kind of interesting to think about the fact that the actual iMac computer bits are a three inch by what, you know, nine, uh, 16 inch uh, long strip of silicon, you know, and it's all in the chin. You know, there is no mm-hmm. computer actually behind the screen. And, and that kind of gets us to uh, actually, before we get to the thickness of it, the bezels are different with these new iMacs. They're white, and this is the first time we've seen, you know, because the bezels are historically black around the edge of the screen, but um, they went a different direction this time. Yeah, they are, I can't tell if they're, I think they're slightly off-white, but they're not black, and I think that's a much bigger deal than the chin. I mean, I want to reserve judgment till I can use one, but historically, the black bezel has been what we've had on most devices. And you can get an iPad or, you know, in the old days, an iPhone with a white bezel. But a lot of people prefer the black. And it's interesting that they've gone with white. I mean, it works nicely with all the colors. And I can imagine that the black may have been weird on some of the other finishes. Very curious to see how this plays out in the real world. My guess is, just like anything else, like the Apple logo that's missing on the on the chin, that after... A few days, you don't even see it anymore. But it's, yeah. it is jarring to look at, you know, in press photos. No, I, I completely agree. But I do think also people who are in the market for a computer like this are not going to care. No. You know, it's just not that big of a deal. But and I would even, I'm not going to put money on it, but my guess would be that the larger iMac, the more pro-focused iMac would have black bezels. I'm just yeah. going to throw that out there as a prediction. Well, I want to talk about later... Um, thoughts about that that bigger iMac because I think there there is some some significant differences heading our way on this. And then the thinness of this thing. It you know, I said at the top this is like an iPad strapped onto a foot. Mm-hmm. And um it really is. I r- read somewhere yesterday that if you took two AirTags, the new Apple tracking thing, and stacked them on top of each other, they would be thicker than this iMac. Uh, I think you told me that the original iPhone was thicker than this iMac. I mean, it is crazy how thin this thing is. It's 11.5 millimeters, and it is consistent all the way through. So the old iMac did this trick. There was five millimeters at the edges, but then it had this huge bump in the back where all the guts were. And this is all flat and much more modern looking. I mean, this is what we wanted when we talked about a modern iMac design, like make it look like the iPad Pro, make it look like the Pro Display XDR minus all the weird holes in the back. And it's what they did. And I think it looks super modern and cool. Me too. Um, it does have consequences for ports because if you've got a computer that is thinner 
then the plugs that you want to plug into it, you're going to have problems. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. but overall, I mean, the first time you look at this thing, it's amazing. And I think that the market for this iMac are going to be people who are going to see this the, the thinness and the color, and that's all they're going to need. I mean, and, and the thing we should say is that this is M1 powered. I mean, it is just as powerful as these laptops we have that are rendering video just as fast as my old iMac Pro was rendering video. So this is still a, a really good computer. Oh, absolutely. You know, it is just sort of a reimagining of that technology and, and that technology and these other computers that we've been praising now for months and and for good reason. So I, I think it's... um. I think you look at the color and it's tempting as maybe as a power user to think, oh, this is a toy. This is not a toy. This is faster than almost every single iMac Apple's ever sold. And in some areas, depending on how you look at things, as fast as the highest Macs, you know, the highest Intel Macs Apple has ever made. And so this is like this cute, cuddly, adorable exterior that I really like but it is a beast inside. And we'll talk about the specs, but I do think the design, like there's something interesting going in there with the design because a lot of these are going to be bought and never really pushed, right? I mean, sort of like home computers, it's, you know, video calls and it's the family photo library and it's browsing for the kids doing homework. And that's a huge market and the IMAX very well uh, positioned for that market. But it's like it's a little bit of like you're taking this race car out and uh, and you know not not doing super fast laps with it and that's fine, but it is sort of funny to me. Yeah, and and also I think this computer is going to look great on like a receptionist desk oh, at yeah. an office. You, you know, yeah. there's a bunch of like office interior designers that when the world opens back up, people go back into offices and want to redo things. Like they're going to have on their phone all these colors of IMAX. Be like, okay, what color works with the design we want to do? I guarantee you that's going to be out there. And now the the actual, I, I keep calling it the foot. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what Apple the, calls it, yeah, the foot. Okay, and that's the the slab of metal that the thing attaches to. It is straight, just like the XDR stand. So it does take a little bit of a cue from an XDR uh, yeah. stand. Uh, it does not have a height adjustment on it, so you get what you get. That's always kind of been the case with the iMac. Mm-hmm. It does tilt, and because the thing is so thin, it's 10 pounds, which is ridiculously light for an iMac. Is it 10 pounds? 9.83 pounds. Wow. That Yeah, right? <laughs> that's wild to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's not much, it's like an iPad on a foot. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. And you don't have, you know, spinning hard drive and you, you don't have a bunch of, uh, big heat sinks and stuff. Yeah. Big thermal system. Yeah. I mean, just to put that in in a comparison, I'm just going to look up how heavy the, the, uh, pro display XDR is. Cause I guarantee you it's way more. Let's see. Uh, yeah. The pro display XDR weighs 17 pounds. And then yeah. the old iMacs were really heavy. That's that's really impressive to me. Yeah. Yeah, and the Pro Display XDR doesn't have the computer bits in it. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, one other thing while we're kind of talking about the design to maybe round this out is I want to talk about the input devices you can get. Yeah. So they have three keyboards. They have the 10 keyless, you know, sort of the narrow Bluetooth keyboard. You can get one of those with Touch ID, which is the first time Touch ID has come to an external 
keyboard that's not you know part of a notebook and you can do the full width with the number pad and that one comes with touch id and you got to pay to upgrade to those as you order uh, but they come color matched and you can choose between a mouse and or a trackpad that the top is still white to match the bezels and match the keycaps but the aluminum is anodized to match the iMac. And so the keyboard frame and the frame of the mouse and the bottom part of the Magic Trackpad are blue if you buy the blue iMac. And I think that's a great detail. It's another nice throwback. The original iMacs before Apple gave up on that terrible mouse and released the pro keyboard and mouse, they'd had color matched accessories. And so that's, I think, really cool to see that come back and, you can't buy these on their own, at least of time of recording. Even if you did, the Touch ID only works with the M1. So, for instance, I couldn't buy one of these keyboards or Touch ID and use it with my Mac Pro. But I think people are going to totally dig having a keyboard that matches their computer. I, I think it's r- really, really cool touch. No, I agree. And I think that, it, strangely, that's going to be the thing that sells computers to a lot of people. You know, <laughs> I mean, probably not people listening to our show, but... But there will be a lot of folks out there like, oh, I can get the pink one or I can get the, the orange one and I'll get the orange keyboard and mouse. And that's all they need. They're in. And yeah. and the good news is it's a really good computer. So they're still going to get a great computer. Mm-hmm. Do you have any fear uh, security wise for Touch ID being in an external keyboard? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, Apple takes this stuff really seriously and they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't know that it lived up to what they require for things like Apple Pay. So uh, I don't worry about it. And honestly, I wish I could have it on my <laughs> on my Intel Mac Pro. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think that just like you can unlock with your watch and it's safe, they're going to they figured out a way to do it with your keyboard and you'll be fine. Interestingly, there is no touch bar uh, version of this keyboard. Yeah, I kind of thought, you know, maybe this is the time they do it, but no touch bar, just touch ID. Again, if you think about consumer versus pro in the laptop space, you have the MacBook Air with just Touch ID. So like, I mean, I don't think it's super plausible, but maybe there's a future where there's an external keyboard that comes with the iMac Pro or the Mac Pro that has the touch bar. But uh, so far, the touch bar is still just in the, the MacBook Pros. I suspect the touch bar may just be nowhere in a year. We'll see. And that's probably more likely than, than putting it in an external keyboard. Yeah. Um, and just a one point of clarification, there there are several tiers to this iMac. Yes. The entry-level tier comes with the keyboard that doesn't have Touch ID. The higher tier does include a Touch ID keyboard. So it depends where you buy. But you can upgrade or downgrade appropriately, I believe. I mean, we can't order them yet, so we're not sure exactly of, of what you can and can't do. But that's my understanding. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Privacy.com. We've all had those times where we need to buy something on the internet and you're afraid of putting your your debit card or your credit card into that web form. I've definitely been there before. Well, privacy is the tool that makes it easy to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure. By generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. A service like privacy is important because... These little plastic cards with these numbers, they're not a very smart system. And once that card is taken by somebody, and I've had that happen many times over the years, you find out when you log into your bank and, you know, 
purchases you didn't make or on their privacy, make sure that can't happen because you can take control of your payments. You can decide who can charge your card, how much and how often, and you can close cards anytime. Plus, you can make sure you never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And privacy is partnered with the good folks over at 1Password. You can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. All virtual cards created in 1Password have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set spending limits, create single-use or merchant lock cards whenever you want. So head on over to privacy.com slash MPU to sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase at privacy.com slash MPU. So let's talk about the specs uh, a little bit. We mentioned that it is, of course, uh, the M1 that we have uh, known and loved so far. So so it does come with the limitations of the M1, mainly that it is 16 gigabytes of unified memory. It's the cap. You can't go past that. And yeah. a two terabyte cap on storage. But again, for a consumer desktop, I think both of those are reasonable and it does come with a um, with some ramifications in terms of the the I/O. So you mentioned a second ago before the break about the tiers of iMac, and again, these aren't they're up on Apple's website, but you can't customize them yet. But from what we can see so far, there are three models of this new iMac, you know, and you can customize from there three starting points, if you will, and at twelve ninety nine. It's the eight-core CPU and the seven-core GPU, which again we've seen in the MacBook Air, and I think we've given this advice before, but I don't think it really matters between the seven and eight GPU. That's the last thing that I'd spend money on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably indistinguishable to most mm-hmm. folks. I mean, and again, the M1 is really powerful. I just did a thing with the because I upgraded the Hazelfield guide and. Somebody asked me to to make combined videos for easier download, you know, rather than having to download 40 videos, they started sure. to download five. And so I had to do a big render job on my M1, and the speeds were faster, I think, than I was getting on iMac Pro. I mean, this this is a power horse, this little chip. Yeah, it makes me a little afraid of what's coming next, honestly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're going to get to that, but... But I, I guess I should say on the M1, one of the things that occurred to me as the event finished yesterday is I really think this was the end of the road for the M1. I mean, I don't think there's going to be any more computers introduced that have the M1 in it. Agreed. I feel like, you know, they, you know, we talked about this in more power users when this was all a lot more hypothetical before they started releasing products. But we talked about tiered, you know, um, Apple Silicon and how they would try and keep it simple. And I think that this is bearing true. I mean, so now they have released an iMac, the two low-end laptops, and the Mac Mini, the low-end Mac Mini, which is silver, not not space gray. And they all have the same chip driving them. And the the second tier of that would probably be the the more powerful iMacs, the more powerful laptops, maybe a more powerful Mac Mini. And I would guess that they all have the M1X or whatever it ends up getting called that that has more cores than the M1. I totally agree. I think that's spot on. And I think that's why we've seen this iMac and not the big one yet. 
right? Yeah. Like very yeah. clearly the product lines are just split between low end and high end right now. And it makes it really easy when you're buying, you know, it's like, yeah. do you want the fancy chip or the standard chip and what form do you want it in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think that's good. I think there's lots of confusion in the Mac line over the last, you know, six years or so. Uh, but getting back to the SKUs and the I.O., uh, the other thing that makes this 1299 iMac different, a couple other things. One, it comes in fewer color options. So if you want yellow, orange, or purple, you got to get a more expensive model. But it only comes with two Thunderbolt slash USB 4 ports. And if you look at the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro that are out, two ports the Mac Mini has two Thunderbolt ports, then it has some other USB ports. Uh, the the two Thunderbolt port is a is a limitation of the M1. And so whatever comes next, M1X, just to give it a name, we fully expect to see it have more than two Thunderbolt ports. The, this is a limitation of the M1 itself. And so as you upgrade, if you want more ports, you can get on the higher end, the 1499 and the 1699 models, you can get two Thunderbolt ports and then you get two additional USB 3 ports. And so they are using, uh, still getting four ports, but using regular USB on two of them, which again is like the Mac Mini. Um, and you also get gigabit Ethernet, but it's not really in the form that you would expect probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the the whole problem with I.O., in, in addition to the limitations of the M1, is the thickness of this iMac. Like, the you know, the, the audio jack for your headphones, the length of the audio jack is longer than the thickness of the iMac. If you poked the audio jack into the back of your iMac, it would come out the front, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so the way they solve it is they put the the audio jack on the side, you know, yeah. on that little, very thin side, almost like a, an old iPhone uh, yeah. jack. And honestly, like, I think that's fine. I think, you know, like, like you and I, we have audio stuff hooked up to our computers all the time. We're in the vast minority of users. Most people, honestly, probably just use the speakers built into the iMac. And these speakers, Apple says, are incredible. And I believe them because the last ones were incredible. And... If you want to sit down with headphones, yeah, you don't want to be like scratching around the back of your beautiful red iMac. You just like boop, pop it in on the side. Totally fine. Yeah. Uh, but the the Ethernet port is on the external power brick. Yeah. And okay, I, I like this iMac a lot. I hate that it has an external power brick. I understand why looking at the pictures, they can't put a power supply in this thing because it's so thin. Yeah. I get it, and I also get it that it's a desktop, so you just throw the power brick under your desk and you never think about it again. But this is where they've put the Ethernet as well. Yeah. And so you have this brick, and I've got a uh, in one of my blog posts, I have a, a picture of it. You can see it. If you ever used an old Apple Cinema display with like the breakout power and USB box and stuff, it kind of looks like that. So power from the wall and Ethernet comes in one end. Now at the other end is a two-meter color matched fabric wrapped cable. Now look, I have some of these cables because I own a Mac Pro and a Pro Display XDR. These cables yeah. are glorious. Like to have yeah. one in orange would be sick. And it goes up and connects to the iMac magnetically. And it carries power and Ethernet through that connection. Which is something we've never seen on a desktop. I um I don't know if I put in an article or if I tweeted it during the event, but I was like, I'd rather have MagSafe on a notebook than a desktop. 
Yeah, and one yeah. thing I'm going to do, because I'm going to order one of these to review it, uh, I'm going to see like how strong is that magnet. Uh, but again, IMAX don't move, right? It's not a notebook. It should totally be fine. But it's a unique way of solving the problem, even if Apple kind of created the problem in the first place. Yeah, I got thinking about that. Well, I mean, this kind of gets back to the point I made earlier. Where are you going to plug an Ethernet jack into that iMac? Yeah. You know, there's no way. You can't put it on the side. It's too wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nowhere to put it. So they figured out, well, let's put it into the um, the power adapter. But then I got yeah. thinking, well, why, why not just go all in with that then? Because the other thing we can't have on this computer is USB-A ports. With a Mac Mini M1, you get two USB-C ports and two USB-A ports. Yeah, well, they're using that. So this is one, one area where the Mac Mini and the iMac 24-inch differ is that Apple on the iMac chose to go with USB-C and then the two Thunderbolt ports. And on the Mac Mini... They went. They went the other way. So yeah, they they can't. They don't. They can't put a USB A port in that thin iMac. Well, there, it, may be, no it may be thickness, um, or it may just be yeah. they said you know Mac Mini's use case is different. And USB A makes sense there, but does it make sense here? Probably both. Yeah. But it is uh, certainly um, an interesting choice. And Joe over at Mac Rumors tweeted this earlier, but you know, there's been this rumor that the MacBook Pro will get more ports in the future. Like, what if they just use the same methodology where they just have stuff in the in the uh, in the power adapter? Uh, it'd be kind of funny because that machine's yeah. also really thin. But yeah. um, but yeah, it's it's a unique take, and thankfully, Apple left. If you've have you ever used an iMac or an Apple uh, display for years, they've left an oval opening in the back of the foot to run your cables through, and this keeps that, so you can still keep things nice and tidy. Although most people, honestly, who buy this machine are going to plug in power and like maybe a USB-C to lightning cable or something and use Bluetooth accessories and not use all four of those ports at all. Yeah. I think they know their market on this and oh yeah, you're going to put it on your desk and just think about it. The cable, the keyboard, the mouse, the trackpad, the Mac, all color match. I mean, this is like, I, I've already had two or three people from my normal life text or call me about this because it it landed on their radar one way or another Uh and they are just super excited they could care less if there's four ports or ten ports you know they don't care and i think they're going to sell a lot of these we haven't even mentioned however this 24 inch screen i mean last week the low-end imac was 21 and a half inches now it's 24 inches which is noticeable and apple has put it into a machine with thinner bezels so Size-wise, it's about the same, which is pretty cool. It's a neat trick when they shrink bezels. It's like, oh, they did this with the iPad, right? And the phone. Oh, we have a bigger screen, but it's still the same size device, uh, which is which is always cool. But yeah, 24 is great. And uh, 21 and a half inch, you know, if you're used to that, moving up to 24 will feel like a really nice upgrade. And if you're on a 27-inch 5K iMac and you're thinking about going to this one because you want to jump on the Apple Silicon train, I think you're going to notice the decrease in size. It's always easier to go up, right? Like, yeah. I went from a 27-inch iMac Pro to this 32-inch XDR. I don't even want to go back to 27. Like, I just have grown to fill the space. Uh, but if you're coming from an older iMac, this is going to be great. And it, and it made me chuckle that in the olden days, when they first released the 24-inch iMac, it was the big one because they said they had like a 17-inch and a 20 and then yeah. a 24. Yeah. And I remember seeing the 24s in the Apple store because they came out when I was still working there. 
it's like, oh my gosh, like I will never need an iMac bigger than this. This is totally ridiculous. And he opened it and it was basically empty space inside. Uh, and now it's the little one. And that just kind of cracks me up. Yeah, I think we had them the white plastic IMAX that was 24 inches before they went to 27. And that was the big one. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And probably about 30 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, super heavy. Well, that's, you know, it really is a nice improvement. I mean, they, there are, I mean, the the mistake tech people make is they look at something and say, well, that's not really for me, so therefore it's not good. And that is not true. This, While this probably yeah. isn't the right computer for someone like Steven or me or, or a lot of our listeners, basically the I.O. is what kills it for me. But the um, it's a really good computer. And I think that there are going to be a lot of people that this is perfect for. I agree. And I think I think they're going to do well. And I think you're going to see a bunch of them out in the world once we're um, out in the world again. And, you know, like I'm excited about just going into the Apple store at some point in the future and seeing all the colors because yeah, I think it's going to be so much fun to see those. And just like it was back in the day, uh, you'll be able to go into the Apple store and like shop by color for your computer. And that was a huge thing with the iMac G3. And now it's a huge thing with the the M1 iMac. And I don't know, I'm just excited about the fun coming back, you know? Me too. Me too. I so then you're going to get a review unit. Are you going to? Do you know what what spec you're going to get yet? Uh, well, I want to review an orange one, so probably the middle of the road because yeah. this will not be a machine that I keep. Um, yeah. And a, a review unit in the sense that I go pay money for it. Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't get uh, hardware from Apple. Although, hit me up, Apple iMac people, if you're out there listening. Uh, I'd like to do the orange one because I feel like I made this video a few years ago saying orange is the best color for a computer, so it would be a sin to review another color. So I think I'm going to do orange, but, uh, you know, if I were to buy one to use, you know, I feel like the most inoffensive one besides silver, which is just boring is probably the blue, but, um, you know, orange speaks to me, man. I, you know, it's funny. Cause I, when I was looking at the colors yesterday, I thought blue or orange, if I were to get yeah. one for myself, I don't, I don't really feel the teal kind of the aqua color. Yeah. Um, and like that comes from somebody whose company's brand is basically a, like a, a teal kind of slate color. Yeah. But um, but again, there's options for everybody, right? Like I do not want a yellow iMac, but I promise you there are people out there who, who are psyched to order a yellow iMac. And it's the first time you've ever been able to order a yellow Mac from Apple, which is which is cool. W- one last thing on the screen. I know we're jumping around a little bit. We're excited. Forgive us. But it is 24 inches and that that puts it at 4.5K. So the 21 inch iMac was 4K and the big one, 27 was 5K. So this puts it in between. This also kind of makes me think that the big iMac maybe could be 30 inches at 5.5K and you know, keep the, the pro display at 6K kind of on its own. Um, and it also brings wide color and true tone. Like it is a full blown modern Mac display yeah. where before 21 inch was uh, a little behind in some of those areas. And so it's a, it's a big upgrade in addition to just the size, the quality of this should be way better as well. Hey, you want to talk for a minute about the next iMac, you know, we've got the little iMac and then we assume maybe at WWDC or in the fall, at some point we're going to get the big iMac. And we've already talked about the thought that that one's going to have the M one X or whatever it's called chip in it. So it's going to be more powerful but what about, you know, the design of the device? How does this inform your opinion of what they're going to do with the bigger iMac? I suspect that the bigger iMac will look very much like a sibling to this, but more subdued. You know, 
Apple thinks pro users want silver or space gray. And maybe we get one other, you know, <laughs> rose gold or something, you know, something subdued thrown in into there. I don't really expect to be able to buy, you know, the M1X iMac at 30 inches in red or blue. I'd like to be surprised, but I just don't see that happening. I really see Apple using color in its other products as a consumer line thing. And then if you want the pro stuff, you have to give up some of those options. But, you know, even with like the iPhone 12 Pro, they've had, uh, they've got the blue and they had the the green uh, the year before on the 11 Pro. So maybe one other color thrown in there. But I think it's going to look like this, just sort of the more um, mature version of it, if you will. Yeah, I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that the, the bigger one is going to make some different choices in terms of overall design too. Like, I think they'd be willing to make the, the bigger one thicker in exchange for having more IO on the back of it, like a traditional iMac or an iMac pro. And, you know, as the higher end device, I feel like that we may see some, some significant differences. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. And remember like whatever comes next processor wise is probably going to require more power and be warmer if they do a bigger GPU or discrete GPU at some point, that's going to take up space. And with a with a bigger device, you can go thicker and it still look thin, right? Because everything's proportional. Yeah. And so, yes, I would hope that on the more pro iMac that the Ethernet cable is not in the power cord and that whatever the next chip uh, uh, allows them to do IO-wise, that all that's just built in. And so, yeah, I, I do expect the the next iMac to be thicker than this one, but very much of this design, right? Like even yeah. the 27 and 21 inch were different thicknesses in the back and different weights. Like it's the same design just sort of scaled slightly differently. Yeah. But there's also a possibility there that if you're going to make it thicker, you put the computer behind the screen and you get rid of the chin. There's definitely but, room. But IMAX come with chins. I'm standing by that until proven, proven wrong. Cause I have 17 years of history on my side. Well, one other thing on the new iMac that um, I, I raised my eyebrows on when they said this is the best sound system we've ever put in a Mac. I am um, with that very thin chassis. I thought, how are they going to make it sound good? Cause like the, the iMac pro sound system was excellent. It was, but they had, they had that huge cavity to work with. Now they've got the, an iPhone thickness, you know? So when you get your review unit, you have to let us know what you think of the audio. Yeah. I definitely will. I mean, the the iPad Pro's got good speakers. Apple's really spent, really starting with the 12-inch MacBook in 2015, they've really spent a lot of money and time in speaker development. So yes, that is definitely something I will be checking out, and I will uh, I will report back on that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. 1Password is a solution to my internet security. With 1Password, I can save passwords, create passwords, and keep all of this under control, and I only need 1Password to get access to the data. With 1Password, you can actually have your cake and eat it too, with actual real security and simplicity. And it's trusted by 80,000 businesses, including companies like IBM, Slack, and GitLab. 
So why not trust 1Password for your family? Because the family accounts with 1Password are, are pretty great. You sign up, you can get five of your family members into 1Password. Everybody shares the app. You can have custom vaults that you share data. Like we have one that we share things like the Netflix password with everybody. But my wife and I have a different one where we share things like banking passwords and more secure stuff that kids don't need to see. 1Password is so easy to use because it's on all the major platforms. It's got great software. And the people that make 1Password are obsessive about protecting your security. One of the cool things they do is they look at your 1Password vault, and if there's any websites in there that they know have been hacked, they let you know about it. So you don't have a problem with your passwords getting out into the public. They also have a ton of great quality of life features. One of my favorite is the ability to have secure notes in the 1Password vault. This lets me store bits of confidential information that I don't want anyone to be able to get access to, but still have the access to it on my mobile devices. 1Password for Families is the easiest and safest way to share logins, passwords, credit cards, and more with the people that matter most. And the best part is I don't remember any of the long, arduous passwords 1Password has generated for me. 1Password remembers those for me and fills them in automatically. But don't just take my word for it. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU, put that in all caps, you can get 20% off, and give it a try yourself. The bad guys are really sophisticated. You need to be sophisticated in protecting your privacy and your passwords. OnePassword is the tool you need for that. Once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU, in all caps, get that 20% off, and start getting both convenience and security today. All right, they didn't just announce a new iMac. We also got a new iPad Pro. Uh, that was the least surprising announcement yesterday. That's been rumored for a long time. Uh, but it is uh, quite an improvement over the prior iPad Pro. The new one has the M1 chip in it, which was a surprise to me. Honestly, I thought that it would have something like an M1, but it'd be call it, called an A something or another. What'd you think of that? I'm very surprised. And if you listen to Connected, you'll know that I'm going to lose a point over this uh, in our game we play over there. But I'm very surprised that they took the M1 branding and applied it to something other than a Mac. And we can talk about the ramifications of that in a a minute, because I think there are some real ones, but definitely a surprise to me. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of fun to think about it, that you could have an iPad and a Mac that are both running on the same processor, Mm -hmm. which is kind of mind bending. You know, just in the abstract. It's uh, it's definitely a, a new era. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And uh, and with it, you know, it's obviously way faster. Uh, though it still just has one port, even though the M1 can do more than one port. But that port is now Thunderbolt, uh, not just USB-C. So it can drive a full 6K display. It can use much faster storage. If you have something that takes advantage of that faster speed, and uh, it also um, has up to two terabytes in storage, which is, again, is something that comes with the M1. Uh, the, the previous iPad Pro, I believe, topped out at one terabyte. So if you are a big media person or using your iPad for work and you were bumping up against that space, now you've got uh, two terabytes to play with, which is great. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like the 5G radio, they've added the 5G radio is a nice improvement because a lot of people use these things remotely. It's a great remote device with the cellular radio built in. And I'm glad they brought that up as well. Yeah, me too. Uh, 
I haven't really been able to experience the super fast, like millimeter wave 5G, but out in the world, you know, uh, regular 5G is faster for me, at least where I live on my carrier, you know, 5G has lots of asterisks and it, it made sense for them to do this. And it, it, it makes this device uh, more viable longer in the future because you're moving off of the LTE old 4G stuff. So yeah, I think people who use the iPad Pro in the field, 5G is a huge win. If not now, definitely in the future. And the good news is you can have it in any color you want, so long as it's space gray or silver. Yep. Other than that, you gotta you gotta you gotta look elsewhere. Although you can get the magic keyboard in white, which sounds like a terrible decision. Can you imagine how gross that thing would look? Yeah, after it's gonna a while? get so dirty. <laughs> I know, yeah, I don't the same no thing. one out there buy that. Please just like do it for us. Don't skip the white. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So I, I let out. I, I, I want to talk about the M1, and then we can talk about this amazing screen tech. Okay. Uh, Jason Snell wrote this piece over on Macworld, uh, and it will be in the show notes. And his headline is the iPad Pro is a killer machine, but its software is killing me. Uh, he and I spoke yesterday as he was writing this, and I think with the M1 in the iPad Pro, it raises the question of why can't the iPad do everything the Mac can? And the answer is software. Yeah. And that has been an issue for the iPad for years. We've talked about it for years, but I mean, I think even back to like the iPad Air or maybe the iPad Air 2, like it came out, it was so fast, it didn't make any sense. And then we got the first version of multitasking, you know, in iOS 9 or whatever it was. And ever since, it's always felt like the iPad hardware is just so awesome and so fast and hardly anyone ever hits the limits with it. But then the software just doesn't take advantage of it or the software doesn't allow workflows that take advantage of it is maybe a better way to say it for most people. I know there are people out there, including listeners of MPU who work on their iPad. I'm not speaking to that really, but why can't the iPad do what the Mac can? Yeah. And the M1 just puts that question on the table in a way that I find sort of uncomfortable because, you know, maybe we're going to get something amazing with iPad OS 15. But fundamentally, the iPad Pro is not a Mac, and putting all this power in it kind of seems like maybe not super useful, actually. I can't put all the power down. I, I think uh, I wrote about, uh, right after the event, I did like the quick take post, and yeah. one of the things I wrote in it was, I wish that the software team was as enthusiastic about the iPad as the marketing team, because... Whenever you see these events, they spend a lot of time making the sell for the iPad in general. Like the iPad is just this piece of glass that turns into whatever you want it to, and it is the it's the greatest thing in the world. And they 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 always find one or two amazing apps. You know, the one they were seemed to use a lot yesterday was one where you can take a picture and turn it into layers, which is cool. But you know what's even cooler is an app, uh, uh, one that allows you to write a word processing document and easily, you know, get that off the machine <laughs> or yeah. or easily create multiple folders and store it or maybe even apply a tag to it, you know. And it's like the iPad, it seems to me, I mean, setting aside the amazing hardware, it just seems to be, and it's a repeating theme on the show, that the software is never quite there. and. For all the people you meet that are able to do all their work on an iPad, 
there are 10 people who've tried to do work on an iPad and they hit some frustration point and just gave up on it. Yeah. And I don't think that the answer is saying, well, it's got an M1, so let's just let it run Mac OS. I think that's too easy. I think what we're looking for is come up with unique and innovative solutions that allow us to do our day-to-day work on an iPad with a touch-friendly user interface Mm -hmm. that, that actually gets the work done, that lets us apply the tags and make the folders and, you know, allows us to do file management and, you know, all the things that we do on Macs and we take for granted, um, that just have not been resolved on iOS. And, I think there's a lot of people out there that would love to use their iPads more. And I feel like Apple, it just there's so much work to do on the fundamentals. I, I agree. And it's easy to say, well, if they just had a Final Cut or something, you know, or Adobe yeah. Premiere, just like put your favorite pro app for Logic, right? Well, if I just had Logic on the iPad, I could edit podcasts on the iPad. But yeah. that doesn't really, I mean, yes, Apple should have a pro app story on the iPad and they just don't. Yeah. But there's also all the stuff that, that is around that, right? And the keyboard and trackpad support go a long way. The pencil goes a long way. But if I have, you know, like, for instance, when, when I edit, because I, I don't edit Mac Power users, so I'll use Connected as an example. You know, my Connected edit file, the folder by the time I'm done, is often, you know, seven, eight, nine gigabytes in size because I use WAV files and, you know, just a lot of stuff. Like dealing with that on the iPad in the files app, just like, I just don't want to do it. Like, you know, Finder has its problems, but it's really good at this sort of thing. And the iPad just lacks some of that infrastructure that pro workflows need. It's not just about raw horsepower. And I feel like Apple's just put a spotlight on that argument by putting the M1 in the iPad Pro. As cool as it is, I feel like it raises this conversation in a new way. Well, it's like earlier you said... That, you know, with this new port, you can plug it into an external monitor, even a 6K monitor, mm-hmm. which is great, but it doesn't do anything. It just mirrors the display. It's not useful. And, um, but, but I really think that the fundamental problem with the iPad is very entry level problems that people need with everyday work on a computer that have been solved on the Mac for, you know, since the Mac really started. And and now that the iPad's been around over 10, 10 years, it's sad that they haven't solved a lot of those problems yet. Yeah, agreed. And you're right. You know, as they continue to make it faster and better, and, and honestly, the 2018 iPad Pro is still an amazing iPad, and it, yeah. it runs circles. But, you know, as they continue, the hardware team continues to just crush it. I just feel like, w- what is the problem at Apple, you know, I, I feel like whenever they do these presentations, they focus on these really unique apps that you might need once in a blue moon, but they're very creative solutions for that. But, you know, the day to day work that people do on computers, I feel like, is it that they're not using it for that at Apple or that's just not a priority? But I feel like they need to step back and look at what people do when they work with technology and make sure that the iPad has an answer for all those problems as well. And I just feel like that has not been a priority. Uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Um, let's talk about the, the 12.9, though, because Apple has put some stuff in the new 12.9-inch iPad Pro, the big one that the 11-inch doesn't have, and that's this new mini-LED screen. So 
for for those who may not be familiar, LED backlit display has a grid of LEDs behind it. And that's where the light comes from. It's where the color comes from. And then there's basically sheets of material between the LEDs and you that sort of map everything out. And with the ProDisplay XDR, they made a big deal of, of how many LEDs there were and how many uh, dimming zones you could have. And it was, I think, 526 uh, dimming zones on the Pro Display, which is a huge number. It's it's different from OLED, like your iPhone. If the pixel is black, that is off, and it doesn't actually use like this backlight. It's, it's, a, it's a very different design. But the OLED hasn't come to the iPad. Instead, they've been using mini LED, which lets them use LED, which is easier to work with and more conventional, but you get OLED-like qualities because the iPad Pro, the 12.9-inch, has um, just tons and tons of LEDs behind it. In fact, 10,000 LEDs behind this display. Um, the old iPad Pro was 72. So like, <laughs> that, yeah. that's a, a little bit of a difference. And what this lets them do is get Pro Display XDR-like quality so it has 2500 local dimming zones so almost almost five times more than the pro display and it can get really bright a thousand nits of full screen brightness that's twice as bright as before uh, 1600 nits for peak brightness so if you're watching hdr content then you can get that hdr experience from the this mini led technology something apple's been working on for years we we fully expect it to to trickle out to other devices. In fact, I think currently the rumor is the, the the big MacBook Pro, the M1X MacBook Pro would have this. So it's a big deal, and it starts life here on, uh, on and only on the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And and the advantage is when you've got more zones, you can just turn them off so the dark is, is truly black. That's right. Among other things. Yeah, and energy saving, it's huge for that as well, and it just looks better, looks sharper. Uh, in terms of light fall off and things like that. So it's a little bit of a bummer as someone who uses the 11 inch, this isn't on the 11 inch, but I understand that it's the new technology and probably expensive. And so they need to put it in the bigger one, but it will trickle down. But if you are a big iPad pro type person, this screen looks awesome. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I'm very curious to see how discernible the difference is. You know, I mean, I'm not a video professional. Um, but I, I'm going to get one of these, so I'm going to be really curious to see, you know, how it compares. Me too. Uh, and remind me, cause I forget you, you are a big iPad person or you were at some yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, I bought the big iPad pro in 2018 when they first came out with this, this flat design mm-hmm. and I've, I've been using it ever since. And then I had a listener when they upgraded the Mac Mini, I'm sorry, the iPad Mini, his wife, he had bought her an iPad Pro 11-inch, and she wanted the Mini. She wanted something she could put in her purse, and so he sold me his 11-inch. But since then, I've given that to my daughter. She just got in grad school, and she needed a, a good iPad, so I, I gave that to her. Uh, and honestly, during the pandemic, I have not used the small one at all. Well, I just have a one big iPad now. Okay, and, and so uh, are you looking to upgrade that thing? Absolutely. I, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I just want to update it. I, uh, I looked into the configurator at Apple and they're going to give me like 600 bucks for my 2018 iPad nice. pro. So th- I'll end up getting, you know, 
a significant like one third or half off mm-hmm. by trading in the old one. And I've already got the the magic keyboard and the and the Apple pencil, so I'm good and and I'm gonna get one that's even more powerful that I'm still gonna complain about the software doesn't do enough. But the uh yeah. but I, I'm looking forward to getting it and uh, I, I, you know, whenever they have these these big changes with the screen, like the resolution changes to me was obvious, you know, when you went to the retina screens. Oh, yeah. But some, sometimes the color stuff I don't see necessarily. So I don't know. Hopefully it's it's better. I mean, I'm sure it will be. Uh, but that I'm looking forward to trying it out. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear about that because I, I tried the big iPad Pro, but ultimately the, the 11-inch, I really like that size. And and so that's where I'm going to going to stay. I'm not tempted to go up in size, but I am looking forward to the time where I could upgrade my iPad Pro and get this screen technology because I really do think it's a big deal and I think that we will see it filter out to other products and Apple can do this and get OLED like qualities or close enough for most people without having to deal with OLED. And so I think that is a that's a big deal and I look forward to having a, you know, a Mac at some point with this technology because it seems really awesome. And once again, now we've got space between the iPad Air and the iPad Pro because they were very close for the last few months. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, really, it was hard to justify, especially the 11-inch iPad Pro, because the iPad Air was better, honestly, in almost every way. Uh, But now with the M1 in particular, with Thunderbolt, if that matters to you, uh, there's more distance there. And uh, and so, yeah, I I think the line makes a lot of sense. And... You know, it's hard to guess what Apple will do marketing-wise in the future, but I suspect like the M-series chip will stay with the iPad Pro and the A-series chip and the iPhone, that'll be in the other iPads, and that'll be sort of how they divide things. And I think that makes sense. The iPad Pro, they want to have next to a laptop and say, hey, you can use this as a laptop, and it even has the same chip. And I think that's, that's a good thing. And honestly, Apple can only manage so many different chips at once, you know, I mean... You know, they've got the the fundamental chip for the phone and the, the iPad. Now they've got the fundamental chip for the Mac. Now we're waiting for the high-end chip for the Mac. Yep. The the, the one question in my mind is, because I, I, I'm assuming they're going to continue to make a Mac Pro. <clears throat> Sorry for all the, the voice stuff today, gang. My my allergies are hitting me. Yeah, but the, we're, um, we're both under the weather. <laughs> yeah. But the... Uh, I, what's going to happen with the Mac Pro? I mean, if they have an M1X, is that going to be enough for the Mac Pro? I mean, we've been hearing these rumors of a of like a Cube mm-hmm. Pro, like you know, and maybe an M1X is enough for that, or maybe, maybe. they're going to have like an M1Y that has even more video cores or something in it that justify the additional expense. Yeah, yeah, very curious to see uh, what goes on there, but um, it's killing me, man. I just want I the answers. You I know? know. Well, you know, WBC's uh, now six weeks, seven weeks away, so it's coming. And I noticed that with the order window and the shipping window, that these IMACs are going to show up. Uh, you know, not not long before WWDC, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the you know the other penny to drop at WWDC. But I also would be not surprised to not see any information about new Macs there. And they just focus on the software and wait until fall to get back to the M1X. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely likely. I think if it were in person, maybe they'd want to show off in person, you know, like have some demos and stuff. But at this point, I could go either way, either it's WBC or some sort of fall event. Uh, But at the same time, you know, there is like a global, 
you know, chip shortage, which Apple is affected by a little bit. There's also just shipping delays. Like the whole world is in slow motion right now. And that's going to continue. Like I think as hopefully we come out of the pandemic, the effects of the pandemic will be around for a long time in manufacturing and, and all these other sectors. And so maybe it's just a matter of that, that these are shipping in a month, but who knows? Uh, I'd love to see more hardware, but at the same time, I also would love to see them spend 45 minutes on how iPad OS is like radically changing. So, you know, take, take, take it or leave it, I guess. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our good friends over at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to an audience, and they're used by the biggest creators on the web. Generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You might have heard us talking about the Relay FM membership program. You may be a member yourself. Well, Memberful is the platform that we use for our membership program. I shopped around. I found the best one, and that is Memberful. They make it super easy to generate revenue for our business and, most importantly, deliver bonus content to you, our members. Memberful makes it really easy to track what's going on. I have this dashboard where I can see how all the plans are doing. I can easily handle refunds or requests. Customer services are really easy through their website. Memberful is great. If you have a creative project and you want people to back it, Memberful is where you should look. If you're producing content or relying on advertising or other means of income, Memberful makes it easy to diversify with everything you need to run a membership program including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay support, free trials, private podcast feed, and tons more, while leaving you, the creator, in full control and ownership of everything that relates to the audience, your brand, and your membership. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help monetize that passion. Get started for free at memberful.com. There's no credit card required. Just go to memberful.com to check it out you could be starting something super exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. Now, we've been hearing about AirTags for literally years now. Mm-hmm. And now they're a real thing. So Apple's made AirTags. It's a location device, you know, somewhat akin to the Tile or the tracker or one of these other trackers where you can stick it in your luggage and your phone will be able to keep track of it, and they'll plug yeah. into the network of other Apple devices that'll track it for you if you're not around. And um, I think this is a product that that makes sense for Apple to make, and I, I'm glad that they put it out in the world. I do too. Um, basically, it, the Find My Network has really changed over time and, and added this additional stuff. So it used to be Find My iPhone and then Find My Friends. They were separate applications, remember, for years and years, like, and they merged them into Find My, which like the name is awkward, but it is what it is. And it has people and your devices all under one roof. And so I can see, you know, the device, David, that you say, this is the device that holds my location. I'm sure it's your phone. Um, so I can see where you are if, you know, we're buddies on Find My. But then when I look at my devices, I can see where I am. But then I, I can also see, oh, my iMac or, uh, you know, is online over here and my iPad is online over here. And this is sort of the third sort of tier of this. And so how this works is independent of Wi-Fi being available. So if someone 
steals my backpack and they take my MacBook Pro. And if that MacBook Pro never gets online again, I have no way of knowing where it is with Find My. Right? It's gone. But the way these work is they are these little pucks you can stick in your backpack or in your wallet, I guess. And they're just always sort of sending out Bluetooth pulses. I kind of think of it as sonar. It's not really what it is, but in my mind, they sort of make a cute sound. And nearby devices that are signed in to find my through those other methods, uh, they can detect those pulses and upload that location to iCloud. Now, if there is a, uh, say you and I are together and you have an AirTag in your bag, um, you know, my phone doesn't know that it's yours, right? This is all anonymous to the iPhone and to the user. This is just happening in the background securely. And so it's all anonymous. It's all encrypted. And if that bag gets stolen, you could put your AirTag in loss mode. And then what happens is if, if your bag is stolen and I happen to walk past it and you've told Find My, hey, this AirTag and this bag, this is missing. I've lost it. Then when that little Bluetooth pulse hits my phone, you get a notification of where that ping happened. So you don't know that it was me. You don't know what device I have in my pocket or anything about me. You just know that an Apple device signed in to find my saw your reported lost air tag at this location at this time. And you can optionally set some different things. So uh, one thing I think I'm going to do, at least on the one that's in my bag, is if someone finds a lost AirTag, comes across a lost AirTag, uh, you can set it up where they are notified. And if they bring their phone close to it, they get your contact information. So again, your backpack stolen, you've put your AirTag in lost mode, and you've told your lost AirTag, hey, if whoever finds this is a good Samaritan and touches their phone to the AirTag, I want them to have my phone number because I really want my backpack back. Then you can do that. And I think that's great. I think it's great that it's an option because some people aren't going to want that. Like there are AirTags that I'll have, I think, that I wouldn't want that to, to be the case. But if you do want it, it's an option. And so they've really thought about how people would use this in the real world in a way that I don't think I would have considered if, you know, that's why I'm not, I guess, that's, I guess that's why I'm a podcaster, not designing air tags. Well, and I've bought tile trackers and some of the other trackers in the past, and they don't really have a story on privacy protection like Apple does. And with Apple, it's integrating the operating system. One of the things that's interesting is Apple doesn't even know where your stuff is. Mm -hmm. If you went and served them with a subpoena, you wouldn't be able to find out because they've anonymized in a way that they don't even know what's going on. Yeah. And then the other question, you know, as Apple has prided itself on protecting privacy is that, you know, the creepy issue of, you know, a boyfriend hiding one in his girlfriend's car or whatever and using it to track people, um, which, you know, is not good. Yeah. And um, and they have a story for that, too. They have, a, they have a solution for that. Yeah. So if that happens, if someone else's AirTag finds its way into your stuff, your iPhone will see it and tell you there's an air tag that doesn't belong to you right over here. You might ought to check that out. And if you still haven't found it, the air tag will even start playing a sound. So I guess they have some sort of built in speaker that will chime so you can find it. 
So if someone, even if someone goes through the trouble of like hiding it in your car somewhere, like under the seat or, you know, maliciously somewhere, Apple has built in protections for that. And it's smart enough to know that, you know, people with AirTags may be on the same train together or like, you know, there may be a van full of Relay FM podcasters going down the road in California and they don't all need to be notified that they're all in the same car. And so this only happens when the owner of the AirTag leaves the area. And so to this example we're using where someone is trying to spy on somebody, they're, you know, they're putting the AirTag in your car and they're leaving and they're just going to monitor you from afar, uh, you would be alerted. But, you know, if you and I are in my truck together and we both have our backpacks with AirTags, Apple assumes, I think rightfully, that we're okay with each other knowing where we are at that point. So again, it yeah. seems really well thought out to me and something that knows your location, you have to have these these protections, especially when it's something like this that's small and subtle. I think that they've done their due diligence in thinking about how it could be abused and then how to uh, curtail that potential. Although I'm not entirely certain how you square that with theft. Like if someone steals your backpack, you're not there with the backpack. They have the backpack. The air tag is in it. Is the air tag then going to tell them, hey, I'm an air tag and I'm in here tracking you? Yeah, uh, I don't know. And it may be that that's where the lost mode comes in, that they're they're, yeah. they're just wanting you to hit a lost mode. That is a good question. Some of this is hard. Like you're, we're just reading on the websites, right? These go for yeah. pre, went up for pre-order a few days before this episode went up, but they're not out yet. Um, but uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm trying to like come up with ways where I could test this, like put it in a bag and like have, you know, my brother or Mary or a friend like drive somewhere that I don't know where they're going and like see how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because this is new, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. And then they've also got a ton of accessories for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and the accessory, you know, it's a good idea. You know, like you want a lanyard for it. Like if you want to attach it to your luggage when you're traveling or um, put it on a keychain. I think keys are an obvious use case for this. And they range from $12 to like $450. So however much money you want to spend on these, you can. <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be even cheaper ones on Amazon instantly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Belkin's got a couple. They've got one that's like a key ring holder that I'm definitely going to pick up uh, for both me and my wife. Uh, and yeah, we'll figure out kind of where these are best used. Uh, another thing that's neat about these is that they just use one of those little like watch batteries, like coin battery type things. We've all seen them. And so you can apparently somehow Apple hasn't documented how I don't think that I found, but twist the back off and put a new battery in it if you need to. So you can buy these and use them for a long time. And I'm definitely planning on on picking up the four pack uh, and, you know, at least starting with their with those. And then as travel opens up, uh, you know, probably expanding past that. Yeah. All right. What are you going to do with your four? Yeah. Off the bat, I'm going to have one in my bag. And my wife's purse and probably both of our sets of keys. That feels like the most important four things. And then from there, like once I'm traveling for work, you know, having one in a suitcase or in, especially in my road case with all of my sound equipment that I fly with. Yeah. You know, expand out from there. But I feel like my backpack, Mary's purse, both of our keys, like that'll do us for now. Yeah, I'm thinking that too, except I'm, I'm not sure I need to do it on keys because I barely drive anywhere anymore. The keys basically stay the same place. Um, I'm thinking about attaching one to the dog and oh, I'm not yeah. sure how that all plays out with the privacy stuff, but I mean, 
if the dog were ever to get out. I mean, I've got that Fi collar I've talked about on the show, which kind of solves the problem for me. But it'd be an interesting experiment to just attach it to the dog and see what happens. Yeah, that, that, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that could be good, too. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You'll also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. You have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. You can use Squarespace for a lot of things. You could turn your big idea into a new website or showcase your work with their incredible profile designs. You could also publish your next blog post, promote your business, or announce an upcoming event, and much more. I've been using Squarespace for years for both Max Sparky and my legal practice. I've got friends that use it for new babies, and I've got friends that use it to run their big companies off of. It's just so convenient, and I love the way you can customize it to look just the way you want. So Squarespace sites don't have a distinctive look where they all look the same. No, they look like the way you want them to look, and you can do that yourself without spending a bunch of money on a web developer. So head to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of FM. So there were, there were a couple of other smaller things that uh, got some time as well. Uh, the the last kind of me- medium-sized one is a new Apple TV 4K. Yeah. All they had to do is put on the screen, we fixed the remote. That's all they had to do. I mean, that's, that's probably the most important thing here. The only difference is hardware-wise between the Apple TV 4K you could buy before the event, like the one I have, and the new one is it goes to the A12, so it's a better CPU. And Apple always talks about it's better for gaming and all this stuff that people don't use the Apple TV for. Uh, it supports 60 frames a second, so you've got high refresh rate. And uh, it has a thread radio, just like the HomePod Mini, which is this sort of emerging smart home standard that Apple's behind. But the remote's the big deal. Right. And thank heavens you can buy it separately and thank heavens it works on the older Apple TV because I'm just going to buy a remote and pretend my Apple TV is, uh, is fresh and new. Yeah, we, we've got a project going on where we're turning some of the garage into craft space for my wife and daughter and they want a TV out there. So I'll probably get a new Apple TV 
but I'll put the new one in the in the living room. Yeah. And then move the other one out there. But I the remote is the is the draw for me, honestly. I I just don't like that remote. I, I know every, everybody wants to bag on it. So it's all been done before, but you know, accidentally scrubbing, I've just had enough of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this looks kind of like the older one. It's aluminum with black plastic buttons. It kind of combines the older one and new one in a way. It still has a Siri button. It still has the home button and back button. It even still has a touch-sensitive area, but it's not the whole top half of it, right? The the problem with the remote now is accidental touch. And now it has a, a, a raised ring, and you can scroll around that ring to jog forward and backward. You can also use it as a D-pad to navigate. But if you want to scroll, you still can, but it's indented below the surface of that ringed button, which means accidental touches are going to be way harder to do which is great. So if you like the swiping and stuff, and it is nice in tvOS, you can still do that. I think most people will just use it as a D-pad, but it, it gets rid of the problem of, oh, I picked it up, and now all of a sudden I'm in a different app, and what I'm watching is long gone. Yeah, and it's still too expensive. It, it's 59 bucks with... Uh, no, uh, I'm sorry. The, app, the Apple own. TV is still too expensive. That too. It's still, it's still way too expensive. They still have the weird thing of you can get in different size capacities, which no one needs the bigger one unless you're like an Apple Arcade maniac. But yeah, it's still too expensive. Apple is just not competing with the likes of Roku and Amazon. They still are trying to position this as a premium device. And in fact, it was subtle, I think, but they said it in the in the event is that it's so much better than just a smart TV because it has Apple Arcade and Apple Fitness Plus, and the new AirPlay. It's like, well, that's true, but a bunch of smart TVs have AirPlay, at least the older version. Uh, we'll see if it gets updated for the high frame rate support. Your TV app is basically everywhere because they want Apple TV Plus everywhere. Yeah. And so really, the, the, the selling point for the Apple TV 4K is you just want to be in the Apple ecosystem, or you don't have a smart TV like me. My TV's ancient and the Apple TV is the input, or you want arcade and fitness. And I just don't know if that's enough to, to prop up this price. Yeah. And I feel like it's just, I'd, I'd love to know what their actual cost is. Cause I, I know that it's a lot less than $179. That said, the, the Apple fitness plus, we are so getting into that in our house. It just continues to take hold. And then we saw Tim's guns yesterday. Like Tim Cook looks like he's been using Apple Fitness Plus. He's jacked, man. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking somebody needs to make a Twitter account just called Tim's Guns. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that dude came out with like this tight t-shirt and his arms are huge. Man, goals. Um, so that's the uh that's the Apple TV 4K. We're not gonna upgrade, but I am gonna rage buy a remote when it goes for sale next week. Yeah, <laughs> okay. You know, they did a thing on the Apple card. I I really have a hard time with Apple getting into the credit card business and using keynote time to talk about credit cards. But yeah, they have a credit card and I'm just not that excited about this. Why don't you talk about the credit card changes? The Really, the thing is it's supporting um, family. So you can have a co-owner on your credit card and that links your... Uh, you know, the benefits of a credit card to your credit, if you pay it off and you're responsible with it, you can grow your credit through a credit card. Does not 
in any way financial advice, of course, but you can now jointly own that account. And before, like, we don't have one, but say we had an Apple card, I would have a separate one for my wife, like separate accounts. Now you can merge those and have co-owners. And you can also have people over the age of 13. So if you have teenagers in the house, you can allow them to use your family Apple card through Apple Wallet, and you can even set spending limits. So you could say, hey, I would like my, you know, 18-year-old to be able to spend $100 on the credit card, you know, maybe for emergencies or, you know, they need gas once a week or something. And so they could do that, but then they're limited by what they can spend. And I think all this makes sense. It's stuff that should have been there in the beginning probably, but they're, they've they got it now. And so, yeah, that's uh, Apple Card. Yeah. And then they also uh, are doing an update to the podcast app. And that was kind of interesting. They're they're going to try a new design with it again. And uh, I, I mean, I'm reserving judgment. I'll have to see, see how it looks. But they're also adding monetization where you can manage podcast subscriptions just through Apple. Yeah. Which I think for a lot of small shows that have a niche audience would make a lot of sense. I think it can. I mean, we don't know a lot about the details yet. And so I'm kind of reserving my final judgment. I don't think it works for somebody like Relay where we have our own membership program and sure we're in control of it. And Apple wants 30% the first year, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's it's unfathomable. Uh, you know, I, I kind of now finally feel how app developers feel like 30%. It's like, yeah, I don't want Apple to have 30% of my membership revenue. But uh, yeah, if you don't have a membership program where you're starting out or Apple podcast is where all of your listeners are, that's not true for us, then it could be a good deal. But again, the the devil's in the details. We don't know a lot of those details yet. Now, I will say in iOS 14.5, because I've been on the beta, it feels like for two years now, the podcast app is really nice looking. They've done a really nice job with the design. They have something called channels, which kind of gives you shows based on topic loosely. It's kind of an interesting idea. And then, of course, they've um, they've updated some of their language from subscribe to follow so they can use the verb subscribe for the paid stuff. And so that language may change other places. But, you know, Apple's ignored podcasting for a long time and they're sort of looking at it now. And I'm very curious to see where this goes, even if it's probably not for, you know, our business. Yeah, it kind of seems to me like they aren't really going the same direction as everybody else in the industry where they want to have their own exclusive content and you know, we have a more direct relationship with the customers. Um, this is just a monetization system for a podcast that allows Apple to take 30% of the revenue. So I don't really know what their play is here, but obviously they're thinking about it. Well, I, th- I think, uh, honestly, I mean, I think the play is against Spotify because Spotify is building all of this out in a huge way and in a way that Apple can't really compete with directly because up until now apple's podcasting initiatives if you will have been completely open right so ever since 2005 basically you can use itunes and then later later apple podcast for free you can put your stuff there for free there's no paid content and spotify has been buying up a lot of content companies to do paid podcasting on top of spotify and Spotify yeah. is growing rapidly. Uh, I've read some report that within the next year, some analysts think that Spotify will be a bigger destination for podcast listening than Apple, which is, would, would have been unbelievable to think even a year ago. And so I think Apple sees that at least part of the industry is going this direction and they want to uh, 
they want to be ready. Yeah, and, and the the fact that Apple ignored po- podcasting for all this time actually, I think, has been good for podcasting. I so. I would agree with that, and I don't. Yeah, uh, from what I know, I don't love everything that is in their system uh, for this. But again, it's early. Um, but again, it, it's probably just not for us. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that didn't get mentioned yesterday is iOS 14.5, which is coming out. I guess we're hearing maybe next week now. Yeah. Yeah. So the week the show comes out, it should be out, you know, probably midweek. Um, did not come out the day of. Uh, it's release candidate right now, including Big Sur, which has also been a beta for a long time. But yeah, so that, that'll finally be coming out, which means you can have with the watch, you can have the the unlock with the face mask, which I think is what most people will want. There'll be new emoji, uh, the new podcast app, and then, you know, a bunch of fixes and and improvements as normal. Yeah, I've actually stayed off the beta on this one. I didn't want to deal with it. And I'm looking forward to getting it because so often I find myself outside typing in my passcode and I don't want to do that. So uh, hopefully that'll come out uh, soon. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good release, I think. So Spring Loaded, do you, do you feel like they lived up to the name? They did. There was way more here than I thought there would be. It really was. And I'm really excited about the iMac design. I know that... A lot of us were saying, wouldn't it be great if they just made it really flat, you know, like a big iPad? And they did it, you know, and there are a lot of interesting consequences and design decisions you have to make to do that. But I mean, I feel like the iMac has evolved again, and it's been too long since it did. Yeah, it's it's really exciting, and I'm glad we didn't have to wait to the summer to see it. And I think it's uh, I think it'll be really fun to get my hands on one. Yeah, and I, I really do think that the the bigger iMac is going to have some different decisions made around it. So uh, it, I don't think it's just going to be a scaled-up version of the other one. I, I really think it's going to be different, and maybe it will be called an iMac Pro. Who knows? Um, but we'll find out soon. All right, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors this week, Privacy, 1Password, Memberful, and Squarespace. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>